Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to B-Sides Now. Uh, first episode, inauguration episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could call it that. Mm-hmm. You could. Um, we also filmed this episode uh, as we were starting to piece this together all the way back in October. Um, we spoke to Sunny Singh of Hate Five Six. Um, most, if not all of you watching this, should be familiar. And if you're not, well, this is a good one for you. Um, we talk, I think what we brought this up was uh, we wanted to talk to Sonny about his work in, uh, well, moving from the live setting into sort of the um, online setting of live streaming due to the pandemic or some COVID-19, something of that nature, right? Yeah, so it's really weird year. Anyway, wow. um, Sonny was, of course, part of the Code Orange record release stream that happened, which for all intents and purposes, was kind of the kickoff to uh, so many that we saw um, or didn't see um, on the web uh, since no one could, uh, well, tour on any sort of new record or old record or reunion or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, pretty good conversation. Yeah, we talked to Sunny a lot about, you know, we got the ins and outs of how that Code Orange stream, that very first one, how that went down from beginning to end. So that was cool as just like a marketing brain to sort of figure out how they put something so dope together. But we also just talked about, you know, what it's like going from, you know, he's used to capturing energy in a live setting, but now he has to do it through a screen. And yeah. how do you, how do you convey that? And I, speaking as someone, I've worked with him now since the pandemic started and I've seen what he's able to do and how he captures the energy. But it's a conversation that I think a lot of artists and people working behind the scenes will get a lot out of. So. Yeah, so without further ado, here's our interview with Sunny Singh of Hate Five Six to kick this baby off. Fun story. I was uh, literally, and it's probably a week that, Sunny, that you were also probably doing some frantic planning, but I was literally the week, like the week lockdown started in March. I was in labor in the hospital giving birth to my son when. Oh my God. I, I'm not even kidding. I'm sitting with my phone in this bed scrolling after email after email of every single one of my clients dropping announcing dropping their tours and canceling tours it was happening while i was there and i was like okay that's like two extremes of emotion that you're probably you're probably dealing with oh my yeah. gosh it was wild but yeah it was just like this it was that week and then i feel like you know we came back we got home and that first week home with the baby it was i remember i think that was the friday or the saturday or whatever night it was that the code orange stream happened and um for me i i was you know i was online i paid attention to that and i was really impressed by it but i was really impressed like a week later or two weeks later when that content was still alive out there you know it was still engaging with people left and right and i was still hearing about it long after it happened and i had worked a couple of records that came out right before um the week before i gave birth actually i worked a few re releases and it was interesting it was like an interesting time because it was like everybody i think marketing wise was trying to figure out what the fuck to do and you lost your touring and a band you know i worked a record that came out the week prior like i said and they had their whole everything that for the next six months were built around touring and shows and festivals and all these amazing things that the, the, their people had kind of figured it out for them and then all of a sudden it was just off the table all of it and um, I feel like that first go to orange stream happened at a time where people were still trying to figure their shit out but um, 
if if you want if we want to just start there i would love to like as like just a pr and marketing person i'm so impressed by it and how it's developed into so much more even just for y'all together and how um really just like how did it start and how did it come together um me and adam were wondering sort of like were you was it were you just planning to film a regular record release show or was it you know like where was the planning you know if you want to walk us through that that would be sick yeah so obviously i've been filming like hardcore bands and just shows in general for like 12 years now and um so the plan was i was going to actually record the show like a normal record release event and i was going to have like multiple cameras there and we were going to make it a big thing um just because you know, I had filmed their previous record release shows, so it was going to be sort of in that in that vein. And obviously, that week is when the COVID stuff started getting more and more serious in terms of the lockdown. And we were having conversations. Uh, Jamie from Code Orange and Reba were hitting hitting me up, being like, "Hey, the show is iffy. We don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know if the the city's going to allow it." And then the conversation shifted to, "Hey, maybe we're just going to like." Um, have the bands play to an empty venue and like you can just like film it and we'll do something with it and then about 48 hours before the show it was agreed that hey we're going to it's just going to be us code orange playing and it's going to be live streamed we're not going to like record it and then post it later we're just going to do it live and <laughs> blast it out on twitch i had never done a live stream before people have always asked me to live stream like various fests that i film or various big events that i film and my my perspective has always been why should I spend you know energy resources and time into producing a live stream when I can take that time and energy and resources into making the like the video that I'm going to record for the site make that better by by running better cameras or whatever it is I always felt like I always felt like the videos that I produce are you know I'm cap capturing moments in time that I want to be preserved for decades you know in the future and so I always felt that it was wiser to just focus on making that final product better and not to divert resources into like a live stream that people will just watch on their phone at the end of the day. So I, I, I always kept that at a distance, but I think that obviously when code was basically like, hey, we need to do this live, but I was like, all right, my, my feelings about live streams are out the window. Let's just, let's just try to do it and see what happens. So we essentially just, put it together within 48, 48 hours. And um, that in itself was a big task. Yeah, um, shit. <laughs> it, was a, it was a huge task. And it, I mean, it ended up, and we had like a lot of technical, technical things to sort out. We spent the entire day doing tests and making sure things were running. And even then, even if you have, even if the, the, the rehearsal looks great, like there's always the possibility of something going wrong, like losing signal or the computer restarting or losing power. There's so many things that can go wrong. And luckily nothing did go wrong. And we had some something like at least 13,000 people tuned in and it was amazing. And people were like freaking out about it in the chat. Like we were definitely, we were definitely not the first people to do a live stream. Like people have been live streaming shows for a while now, but I want to say probably the first one with, with during within the constraints of the pandemic. And I think that's what got a lot of people being like, yeah, I need to check this out. And where people like were sharing it because they weren't expecting to see that. Cause again, that was the beginning of things getting shut down. So there was just a lot of uncertainty. People were like, are we ever going to have shows again? What, what, what do, what do events even look like in this time? And I think that that live stream event really showed people that, you know, we can still have live music in a way 
because for me, the, one of the reasons why I document live music is because I feel like I had a post about it last night. I said, I said, live music is something that breaks down barriers and unifies people. Like when you're in a room with other people who are screaming the same lyrics or just enjoying the same band that you all that brought you there to that same room, there's power in that. And even if you don't agree politically or whatever, the fact that you were all in that room sharing that moment speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. You are all in that moment together. You're sharing that moment together. And that literally is powerful. So for me, um, doing these live streams is trying to replicate that. Like I did one last night um, with the Menzingers. Yeah. And like people on Twitter were like, this is the best thing that's happened all year. I love this band. And people were sharing memories of what the first time they heard the Menzingers. There was a couple who posted a, a picture on Twitter. They were like, you know, we're on our honeymoon. We're isolated on a beach. And they, it was, it was, they, <laughs> the moon was over them. They were alone on a beach. And they were like, the song that we danced to was this Menzinger song. And we're watching this live stream. So for me, it's cool. Because I never expected a live stream to capture that. But it's actually bringing, it's still bringing people together in a virtual sense. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, nothing is ever going to be or replicate being at the show physically but we don't have that option right now so i'm really excited with how the how live streams are really pushing the boundaries and still at some level unifying people and getting people excited about hearing music live because like yeah i i love listening to music like a record on um you know listening to an album on a record or whatever but nothing for me captures hearing a band live that's what really gets me going and i feel like music is designed to be played live and heard communally in a room or in a setting with other people so i think the live show the live shows are really pushing those boundaries about how can bands connect with audiences in this new format and like i'll be honest a lot of live streams now are pre-recorded days in advance and they're fine-tuned and then they sort of like they premiere it live yeah. um and I've, I've done that with certain things that i i make it known when i'm like premiering a thing that's recorded days in advance but the, that first Code Orange one and that second one that we just did, those were live, live. And like, we were like, all right, if something goes wrong, we're gonna have to deal with it like live on the stream. But um, I do take pride in like the streams that I do that are 100% live, that like anything can go wrong. Yeah. The heat of the moment, I have the band is, in, the band is like reading the chat. You know, the chat is on the stream. They can like, you know, answer questions during the chat. So it's a, not, it's a newer way that bands are at least able to engage with an audience and try to find, reach a new audience. and. And the other part of it is like one of the reasons Code wanted to do it was they had this brand new record and they had a whole U.S. tour planned. All of it was canceled. And so for them, they had no other option. They literally had to do this live stream to promote that record. Otherwise, like no one would hear it. And so lately, like I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I'm willing to work with any band, but I have a soft spot for bands who have new music and they can't tour around it and they really need to play it in front of an audience yeah. in order for them to like, you know, remain a band or remain yeah, relevant. developing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's crazy that it happened in 48 hours. You must have been. <laughs> I was stressed. <laughs> and like, yeah. I was stressed and like, I love a good challenge. And I was talking to Jamie about this the other day and he was like, he was like, dude, the reason he's like you're he's like you're my go-to guy when it when we're trying to work on something that requires like pushing the boundaries because i think i i really do think that's where i thrive like i i really like testing my limits and seeing if i can like not only do it but exceed it and i feel like being under that pressure is what gets me to like step out of my boundaries because again like i said i was really against the idea of live streams just like at a, at a fundamental level 
like a philosophical level and also just feeling like, oh, I don't, I've never done it. I don't think I can do it. But being put in that like pressure situation really made me like get out of my comfort zone and, and just do it. And so that's what really excites me. And we're working on, um, we have some other stuff in the pipeline and that's again going to, you know, push me to push me to the limits. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm super excited about just uh, everything that's going on right now, like as awful as it is not having shows, the silver lining, if there is for me, it's just like trying to like push myself and like at least, you know, a lot of people are doing live streams now and at least do what I can to raise the bar or show people what's possible in terms of like, like production value in terms of a band doing a live stream. I, I think that's the question I have is, you know, uh, if you look at something like 856 or what the stuff that Chris Avis did, um, there's a real culture behind it. There's, there's, it's not just filming a live band and I can, I can understand your hesitation for doing a live stream where there aren't bodies in a room, you know, like what would sound and fury be without, you know, too many people on stage or, you know, getting every stage dive or, or things of like that, you know, for when you talk about pushing production, uh, I guess it's kind of two questions. I, I, I'll try not to trail off here, but I guess my first question is, is how do you push production to uh to replace for the moment maybe and that goes into the second question i have but how do you push production to still get that feeling for me live music is live music i like is dangerous you know i i was very fortunate to work with daughters uh, as their agent on, on the last record and that was a band i saw growing up uh these arms are snakes seeing the jesus lizard come back like there's this dangerous element or even vain at the echo here on their, uh, their headline show. Like there's just something about that and being in a room, you know, I feel like that's the biggest hurdle to overcome. Um, so I guess first part of the question is like, when you talk about pushing those production things, is that kind of what you're talking about? Or, or can you expand on my rant a little bit there? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you that like, live music for me it's a combination of the band and the audience and how they interact with one another and like if you watch most of the video like pretty much every video on hate by six i am always on the stage i'm filming stage right or stage left because that for me is the perspective where the it's the interface where the band and the audience meet and you get that beautiful interaction of just like people up front either like screaming the lyrics or moshing or crying because the music is resonating with them like for me obviously that's like literally where the action is but it also, it defines that, like, literally the actual interface where, like, the lines are blurred between who's the performer and who's, like, the, like, in the, like, the, the observer. Because, again, at a hardcore show, you have people jumping on stage and not that, like, not that they are part of the act, but they are, at that point, once they cross over that barrier onto the stage, they're part of that moment. And it's just a beautiful, like, interaction of everything going on. So, obviously, a live stream is not going to replicate that. So, you know, what, one of the things that I'm doing, I'm making a concerted effort to do when I do these streams is like on film, you know, I'll, I'll typically, typically have multiple cameras. One is maybe on a motorized dolly that's like moving around. One might be like a high, like a wide shot that just shows the room. And then the main angle is just me, you know, I have my camera on a gimbal that just stabilizes the camera. And I'm, I'm like up in the band's face and weaving in, in and out between them and like trying to capture the perspective that I have of like, you know, I'm, I'm filming the vocalist and I'm running over to film the guitarist 
then I'm cutting over to the drummer while he's doing a crazy fill, and then um, I'm running back out to get back in the face of the vocalist. And I'm trying to use just the way I'm filming that from that perspective to bring the viewer into the room. And so I, I see a lot of live streams where it's just like a bunch of cameras that are fixed on tripods, and that's fine. That gives you a sense of you know sitting in the room. But again, the way that I think about hardcore shows and aggressive music is it's a chaotic thing. It's a very dangerous thing. And I, in, in, in my normal videos as, outside of live streams, I'm trying to constantly bring the viewer into my shoes, into my, through my lens. So that's why I'm always filming from the stage side. That's like the side of the stage. That's why like my videos are a little chaotic in terms of like the motion because I'm dodging stage divers, I'm getting hit and I'm gonna have to move my camera out of the way. And I feel like for me, the reason that, you know, what makes a hate five, six video, what it is, is the sort of controlled chaos in terms of how I film the sets. Um, some people don't like it. Some people get like motion sickness from my videos. But again, like that's literally my perspective. I'm literally getting punched while I'm filming filming this breakdown and you're seeing that happen. And so I want the video to, to capture that. So when I'm talking about the production value of these live streams, it's again, trying to keep that in mind. What, what can I do in terms of my decisions with filming this to bring the viewer into my shoes and to get them to feel like they're in the room with me. Um, and the other part of it is, just in, is like the actual production value, like using better cameras or streaming it at a better bit rate that, you know, so people can like watch it at a higher quality or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm, um, I'm hiring like a sound engineer to record and mix the audio live that is then getting synced to the video before we push it out to the stream. So, just I'm, I'm trying to really push the envelope in that regard as well. Just uh, not, you know, both in terms of creatively, you know, what are different ways that we can capture this, but also technically, technically, what other tools can we use to make this better? You know, so for example, Thursday did a live stream. I, I, didn't, I didn't produce it, but they had uh, a crew producing it. I don't know if it was live or pre-recorded, but they had like a, uh, a 360 camera on them. And so that, that was a cool perspective that I haven't seen done in a stream before. Um, so, so stuff like that is, is really cool to me. Like what other ways can, can bands bring the audience in? And I think Under Oath did like a series, uh, three, a three night series recently. Yeah, and I, they, I believe they did three albums or like the three. They did three albums. Yeah. And they, and they, they didn't, they obviously, they, they didn't set up on a stage and play it. They set up in like a, a room like that was, I guess, 360 kind of thing where they had like, you know, I think the band was set up in a circle, which I've done, but they had like cameras moving around them in this room so i think what we're going to see now is you know what are bands are going to be trying to develop ways of you know not just like what other rooms can we play in but what other you know how can we set up our arrangement differently that sets this apart from anything else that's been done so i i, I really feel like right now we're at the beginning stages of bands really experimenting with different ways of just orienting themselves or trying to bring the viewer into that space with them while they perform. And, and, and that brings me to the second question, I, or the second part of the question um, is, is live stream going to be the replacement? You know, something Jamie and I talked about that we've had heard older people in the business talk about a couple of years ago is like, oh, you know, what do we do when like people can just stream from their homes? Obviously Coachella is streamable, Couchella, whatever. Um, a lot of major festivals are doing that. Um, you are seeing special live streams. Uh, my fiance, um, I mean, this isn't the music world, but my fiance uh, bought tickets to the Jesus and Mero like 
live book reading for a Californian. We did that, and it was it was like this special interaction. But I felt like there's still a difference between seeing that live and being in the room and just having it up on the screen. One's convenient, but I think it breaks down to would I rather pay the money, buy the vinyl, sit there with the record, you know, flip it, have that interaction, or just stream it on Spotify or wherever. Um, so I think there's as much as there's a push from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing as really a way to make up lost funding um, for venues and, and promoters across the board to doing these live streams and for bands to have, like you said, that moment where we have something coming out, we need some sort of material and creative content. Is, is this the new normal or is this just a temporary thing? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I personally don't want, nor do I think uh, a video can replace the actual feeling of being in a room and seeing a performance. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think being in the room and literally hearing and feeling the acoustic vibrations like hit me, that is something that you can't replicate through a video. And again, like that's not something I ever want to rep. Like I never want the video to, you know, replace someone going to a show and that's actually like, i've actually received a lot of criticism over the years from people being like i wish you didn't film our show because people don't come to our shows anymore because you film them and i pushed back on that because I, I really feel like before covid the, the videos in general really inspired people to go see the band live because they want to like be a part of something they actually want to like say oh i was there i was in that room like i i really think videos have encouraged people um to go attend shows more. Obviously, I think videos really help people who are, um, you know, with disabilities or they're not able to physically attend shows. That helps them at least be there. It bridges that gap. Um, I don't think streams will replace them completely when we go back to normal. If we go back to normal, I think what we'll see is, um, I'm sure some bands and venues will, and I think we're seeing venues now starting to outfit their rooms with live stream equipment. And I think that when we get to that point of shows happening again, I think venues will tell bands like, you know, we, hey, you know, we're selling or the show's sold out or we're at this capacity. Hey, we can also provide a live stream as well with this percentage. That, uh, the house will take this percentage of the rest that you keep. So I think that we're going to see live streams um, at least a part of a show's package that some venues offer. Um, I do think for some bands, they will offer like a, a special stream, like maybe they have like a special occasion that they, they want to live stream or they can't, they, they can't do a world tour. So maybe they'll do like a live stream of a, you know, anniversary record or what, what have you. So I, I think we're going to see a combination of like special one-off things being live streamed just because the circumstance of the band can't, can't tour or they just want to reach a lot larger audience for that specific event. Um, but we're also going to see like, venues just offering a live stream package on top of like you know tickets to the show and part of me like i i really feel like even if tomorrow the states open up and say you know everyone can go back to full capacity i really feel like it's going to be a process i feel like different like, everyone's going to have a different level like a threshold of when they're comfortable with coming back to a show so not everyone's going to come back on the first day it's going to be like a cascading thing where it's gonna it's gonna be a, it's a rolling thing where it's gonna take several months before everyone feels or even years before people feel fully comfortable. So we're gonna we're gonna see that it's gonna be a long process, in my opinion, my estimation, that people are gonna really ease back into going 
to these events full capacity. So there's probably going to be a, in order for bands to make the guarantee or venues to like, we're going to have to offer some live stream package. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that live stream package is, is probably going to phase out as should, maybe, or maybe not. Um, as shows get, I don't know. Cause think of, imagine the scenario of like you can't make it to a show because you're like not feeling well or something. You know what I mean? Like true, imagine yeah. if you could easily just still be able to experience it. But like, so I feel like it. Could, I really like what you're saying because it feels like maybe there's there's something positive in this. Is like when we can go back, whether you know the fate, you know how it's faced. It's like it'll be great for people who don't feel comfortable going back right away, but it'll it can have lasting, a lasting positive impression. It could work, you know? And I think at the same time, from a marketing perspective, you know, like what you were saying, it's like, I mean, I have worked most, most of the times when I'm picking up a new project to work on and working with somebody new, I would almost always try to find live footage because that's the kind of music I work with, right? So it's like, if I'm going to be working with like a chaotic, rowdy punk band, I have to see the proof. Like I have to know that oh, it one, exists. Yeah. 100%. Yep. And it's like a huge part of the selling point. You know, there's a band I work with uh, earlier this year who like the entire hook of them was that this, the guitarist does a cartwheel mid-set, you know, and like with his guitar on and shit, you know? So it's like, it for that, it's like he, they got more well-known and more awareness off of their new record because of these viral videos that were kind of going around online of this kid doing these cartwheels and stuff and like people just been like oh my god you have to see them you have to see them and it's like that's the kind of project where you get like hit dead in the face with this COVID thing that's like fuck the whole thing was the live experience with you you know the whole experience the whole marketing of it but I think in the future this hopefully will just teach you know both you know people who work in the live space, but also people who work on content creation and stuff and, and marketing people think a little bit more creatively. I, I keep telling people that if anything, this whole experience so far for me has been like an opportunity to, you know, like you were talking about push boundaries and an opportunity to, to challenge myself creatively. And I tell that to any band members or artists who ask, it's like, you know, this, this time we're in, however long it lasts, is going to, it's going to weed out people who aren't creative. It's going to weed people out who, you know, can't figure this out, you know, for themselves, basically. Um, but it, it leads me to a question. Um, you get, you, you talked a little bit about sort of like the production value, but like put your, what if we're talking about a band or an artist who is, you know, in the middle of nowhere, let's say that they're not in a, a culturally kind of significant place where they can have access to videographers and venues, and things like that, but they're a band and they're doing great and they're making whatever art they're making. How, you know, let's say they only have a cell phone and, you know, some shitty lights that they found in their parents' garage or something. Like, how would you go about, like, what, what would you advise somebody like that to do in a time like this when they can't, they don't have access to the same, you know, portals that a lot of our our community has but they still are in a moment where maybe they were would have gone out and done like a diy tour and done a bunch of cool shows but now they can't do that what would you suggest to somebody like that who doesn't you know doesn't know you basically or anyone like you i would say just do it um for me like i'm of the opinion like if you have an idea just try it run with it see where it works where it doesn't work if it doesn't work then like you know backtrace and then figure out like okay this this part didn't work let me let me try this instead so obviously like anyone who has a phone in their pocket has access to like a 4k camera and so i think really what makes a stream enjoyable is just like 
you know, get creative with it or just be passionate about the music that you're playing. Like Code Orange was part of that stream was so exciting because the band was in it. Like they were playing as if they were playing in front of a packed room. They weren't just standing. Like they were really, you could feel the emotion. They were sweating, I saw. <laughs> yeah, so I really advise bands, like even if you don't have access to best equipment, just like be authentic. Um, you know, if you have an aesthetic, make sure your aesthetic is captured through how you're filming it. Like, you know, get creative with the locations that you film. Like really just try to, you know, some bands are just streaming at like doing an Instagram live out of their practice space and that's cool. Like try that. But if you want to like play in the woods or something, like try that too. I, yeah, there's, there's so many things that you can just um, like experiment with. And I think that like being comfortable, being comfortable with experimentation in general for me as a creative person is what allows me to like break through like a creative wall and you know level more like i hate to use the phrase level up but like really like level yeah. up to a level up to a point that i wasn't at before and it really you know i say this a lot in interviews but what really keeps people like creative people or anyone in general from leveling up in life is resistance whether it's like a you know peers being like hey you're not good enough like you should just stick to what you're good at or you know, that could be whether, you you know, someone telling you that you can't become a skateboarder or you can't learn to play guitar, whatever it is, or you can't, you can't become a manager at your job. You're, you're going to be this cashier for the rest of your life. Like, there's always some form of resistance that's keeping you down. And wh what I really tell people and what I, what I personally embrace a lot is identifying those points of resistance and really just, like, pushing at it and, like, really trying to break through. Because once you can break through, then you can see the, like, literally the other side and you're able to like build the confidence and tell yourself like, oh, okay, I actually broke through that. I can, I can do this thing. I can do a kickflip on my skateboard. I can do whatever it is. And that gives you the, it empowers you. And I really think that creatives now should embrace that level, like embrace that fear, like embrace like what is keeping you from wanting to try that thing that you've never wanted to touch before. And like, just try it. If you fail, who cares? Like, like right now, I mean, the, the internet in general has a, like a, what, like a less than a two week memory. So like memes come and go. Even two weeks seems like a lot. Like even if I don't even know what happened two weeks ago, dude. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, like, like every day there's something new. Every day there's something new. So even if you fail publicly, like, yeah, it might be a little embarrassing, but people are going to forget. But that gives you, like, even if you fail, that gives you, that gives you such an important data point because yeah. then you know, okay, like, I did these five steps and that fourth step failed. So next time I do this, I'm not going to try that. I'm going to try this other thing. And so for me, I, le I learn so much more through failure than I do from like studying a textbook or like watching a YouTube tutorial, like just do it and fail. Like you learn so much more, you get so much more reinforcement from that like negative signal mm -hmm. than you do from just like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do it by the book and I'm going to do everything play by play because you know, obviously that can work, but you're never going to, there's a limit to how much you can do when you're doing it by the book. So yeah. if, you, if you're someone who's trying to like do it right now and you don't have the resources, just be resourceful with what you do have, whether it's your phones and just set up a couple different phones and like put them in interesting orientations or play in an environment that you think is novel or complements your band's aesthetic and just, just roll with it and be authentic with it. And I think that authenticity can go a long way because I mean, there's like, there's, there's like vloggers on YouTube who are, you know, they'll use high-end cinema cameras and, 
you know, they put all this time and energy into like perfecting their videos and they, you know, their videos do well, but then you have a vlog, then you have like, um, that dude who went viral on TikTok because he was skate, he was on his longboard drinking the yeah. ocean spray, skating along to Fleetwood Mac, and he filmed that on his phone, and that went vi- like multiple millions of hits. Yeah. And the reason that that went viral is because he was authentic. Like that was him. That's him in his yeah. moment, and he didn't need a high end camera. He was just on his phone. So yeah. you see examples like that every day of just people's just true selves, their true genuine organic selves just shining through a cell phone and that is what penetrates and what resonates with people because people like that people are and especially now people want to be inspired and they want they want content to take them away from the daily doom and gloom of this news cycle that we're in that's just like abusive news cycle that's just constantly getting (laughs) so the moral of the story that i'm trying to convey here is just be authentic and let that convey like you don't need the best equipment. The best, the best thing that you have is yourself and your passion. And let that be the thing that is like reaching through the other side and like literally touching people on the other side. Because if you can do that, the people on the other side, they're not gonna care what you filmed it on. All they're gonna care about is like, damn, that person or that content that just hit me is like, it's making me feel something. And at that point, it doesn't matter what you use. Do you, do you think that the the there's a push against like you bring up some really good points like take the risk be authentic but personally i feel like the bigger business it it almost like you said like this is the way you do it this is where we know like and now we live in this sort of i guess social structure where it's like it's easier to say i want to do that than it is to say this is what it is even though this is what it is, is what we kind of champion over time and through history, you know, like I, and I feel like to a degree code orange is just that even as a band, you know, there is, they're very unapologetic, you know, they're like, this is what it is. You think we sound hardcore. Great. You think we sound new metal. You hate us. You like us, whatever. This is what it is. And I think, you know, to a degree bands like that, bands like them, what do you think is the the sort of wall that people don't take that advice and heed it well? Yeah, I think I think people like validation. Obviously, we're in this social media era where you know likes and engagement is currency. That's why we're addicted to our phones. Like we want that neurofeedback of like, oh, someone liked this thing. It again, it's gonna. I'm not a buy. I mean, it's gonna like release some endorphins. It feels good. And so I think that some bands are afraid to just do what's not popular. Like you said, Code Orange is Code Orange is unapologetic. They have a vision in mind, and they are going for it. They don't care if they are alienating old fans, or they don't care if they're shit talk. They feed off the shit talk. Like that is what gets them going. And so, I think that you know we're in a, the digital age. Definitely keeps people from, you know, people want people want people to like them, and they don't want to do things that loses, you know, being in people's favor. And so um, I think that's a big part of it. So I think that if you're able to ignore the fear or em- embrace the negativity and you know use it to your favor, you're going to be able to try new things and break that rut of just doing the same monotonous thing over and over and f- you know following the same archetype over and over again. So it's a hard thing to do. It's easier said than done. Um, so I don't I don't fault any band that doesn't want to like push the boundaries or do like. Some bands have a formula that works really well and like they shouldn't break it, but 
I think that there's some bands who are like, they're feeling the pressure, like, you know, what else can we do? We're like doing the same thing over and over again, but they might have that fear of like, well, I don't know if, if we, if we go down that route, we might be considered sellouts or changing our vision or whatever it is. And they don't want to do that because of the perception. So it's tough. It, it's like I said, it's really easier said than done. But if you're, if you're able to like divorce yourself from needing that validation or really like, like if you're able to, you know, set aside people's expectations, cause again, like, your art is your art and it should be a reflection of what you want it to be. And obviously, yeah, you should factor it. Like you should be considerate of what your fans are. But at the end of the day, it's like you have a vision, you need to be honest and true to it. And if that vision is like, Hey, I want to try something new. Like we're like a metal group, but we also, some of us like hip hop, maybe we should incorporate some hip hop elements, like do it. Cause that's what your heart is telling you to do. But again, it's, it's, it's hard to go against the grain when you have, you know, management and labels and fans expecting you to deliver a certain type of thing over and over again. So I don't know. I think that right now in this time we're going, I mean, this seems to be the kind of like the theme of this, this talk is like, if, if you're, if you're not going to involve, if you're not going to evolve or develop in certain ways, like your band might not make it out of this, you know, like you're going to have to find ways of just, you know, making the best of the situation. And that might mean having to redefine or push your, push your limits a little bit more than you were comfortable with before. So now is the time to swing for the fences more so than ever. I think so. I think so. And again, like, I think that like, I, I think maybe people might be a little bit more forgiving right now. <laughs> I think people are going to like, you know, if a band tries something and doesn't, and, and fails, like they're probably not going to hold it against them because, you know, I think people realize like, bands are trying to do what they can to stay relevant or just try something new. So I don't know. I would, I would advocate like, yeah, now is the time to go for it. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, then who cares? You know, like I said, people are going to forget for the most part, people will forget that you're, that you failed. And, you know, by the time you try again, like you'll more or less have a, have a like a fresh clean slate. That's crazy. Um, just to kind of, I, I love all of this. I want to pick kind of change the subject a tiny bit. Um, something that I, you know, another kind of thing since all the pandemic started that I've been getting asked by bands and uh, just people, music people in general is about Patreon. And I feel like you have really, you, first off, you've been doing your Patreon for a good amount of time now. And you've really kind of, I don't want to say perfected, but you've really found a system that works, I think. And it, it funnels you to, it, it allows you to be able to go and I mean, pre all this, you could travel and like do all this stuff. And it's like really like become a huge piece of your puzzle. So um, you know, how, what, what, what advice do you have or like, what, how did you get it right? You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of bands right now who are leaning on things, services like Patreon, because it's sort of what they're seeing everybody do right now. And it's really the only, some view it like a tip jar, some view it like more content creation and, and access, but all of them are kind of probably in the same boat of figuring it out as they go. And I was just, you know, yours has kind of had it for a while and I want to just pick your brain on it. Cause I think, we could all learn something from the way you've kind of built your community and specifically on that platform. Yeah. Patreon has been around for many years now, at least six yeah. years, maybe even seven years. Um, and when I did thought you get doing, on there. I got, the, I joined it two years ago, two years okay. ago in March, I launched my 2018. So okay. I thought about it a while ago and I was like, I don't think it's ready yet. Cause what Patreon works really well. If you are, if you have an established community. So a lot of people will join Patreon being like, 
I'm just starting out. I'm going to start Patreon. It's going to work. But Patreon is not great if you have no community. Like it's not, it's not, it's not ideal for like community building. It's really successful if you have in a if you have an established community of people who know and value your work. And so um, a lot of bands will definitely find it. You know, certain bands will find it successful because what people really like is the feeling of being a part of something. One. And two, knowing that they are contributing to something that me, that, that they value. Yeah. And so um, I think that it, it's worked for me because I've, I've built this community of people who really value live recordings and the videos that I film. Um, and so a lot of my Patreon perks are like just really furthering the idea of community. So a lot of my videos are all like... Um, I film shows and I edit them, but my release schedule, like what comes out tomorrow, that's all controlled by viewer, uh, Patreon viewers who are voting. So I've, I've really democratized how Hate Five Six runs as a, as a platform, and I've really like made it this like integral part of being a part of the, the community. Like if you want to be a part of the Hate Five Six community, community, then you have the ability to control the actual content programming and scheduling. So I've really doubled down on like making it known that if you are a patron subscriber, you're not just a viewer who's paying, like you are actually part of the process of how content is created, produced and released. So I do things like that. I give like early access to content or I'll, I'll do like special bonus content. So for a lot of these live streams, I will do like the live, a lot of the live streams I do are free, um, but to cover the cost of producing the live stream, I'll, I'll ask the band to do like a, like an interview or a rig rundown followed by like a one or two song encore. And I put that on Patreon, and that is what like subsidizes the bulk of the cost to do the um, the actual free live stream. But interestingly enough, like when I look at the numbers, like most of my patrons don't even watch the bonus content. Like, like I, I was looking at a um, uh, a bonus encore video that I, I posted on Patreon. It had like thirty views. Like, wow. I have way more than thirty patrons. You know. And so, and, and I've, I've asked patrons like, hey, you guys aren't watching this. Like, what's up with that? And the common feedback I get is, yeah, we, we, like, we appreciate the bonus content, but we're not here for that. We just want to support you because we know that like you're working very hard and like, yeah, we might watch it when we have time, but like what's drawing us to support you isn't the content. It's knowing that we're supporting someone who is working so hard doing something they love. So I think that like, Obviously, I do have to create the content to like bring people on. But for anyone who's starting on a Patreon, again, it's a, it's about building the community and building that trust. And again, like I could have started Patreon sooner, but I think by the time I started it, I was already I had already done Hate Five Six for ten years of my life. People knew what to expect from me in terms of like the quantity and quality that I could deliver. And I, I basically said like, hey, if you're willing and able to support me on Patreon. Like here's, you can actually, like you've seen for the last 10 years what I've done. If you're willing and able to support me, I can take that and take it into hyperdrive. And that's what I did. I really like, I took it to the next level. And I, I really like, I think that anyone who's a Patreon, like if you convey to your viewers, like, hey, here's what you know that, here's what you've seen us or I've been able to do as a band or as a content creator. If you're willing to support us, like, we're going to be able to do that and then some. And I think people really want, like, people want to see others succeed. 
especially content creators that they love or artists that they love, they want to see them succeed. And they'll, they'll like chip in two bucks or five bucks, 10 bucks, knowing that that small contribution is going to help them get to the next level. So I really tell people who are like trying to get on Patreon, like one, like really focus on already having an established community. Like you don't need thousands of people, just like get a community of people who like love your work. And then once you, once people are aware of what you do and how you do it, like then it's going to be mature enough for you to start a Patreon and build a following of people who are going to want to convert from being just passive consumers of your content to being active supporters of the content that you're creating. Yeah. So do you, do you think that like Patreon's sort of the better version of like a Kickstarter at this point? Like it's a more, it, you use the word trust, like people contribute to you because they, and, and obviously the big problem with Kickstarter was people would give money to, ban would go away, disappear, and they would never get any of the products. Whereas Patreon's like, hey, like I'm trusting to get this product or this culture or this art form or whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm helping this person continue to move and continue to grow. Do you think now we, Patreon is kind of like the better system that we've been working towards the last decade at this point? Yeah, I, I think we've been going towards this. I think what makes Patreon more successful is it's obviously a recurring giving. Like, like Kickstarter is a, it's a one-time give and that's it. Like a, it's a, but I mean, Kickstarter, it started, it, it obviously it was one of the first things that, that began this idea of like tiered giving. Mm -hmm. um, Patreon works better because it's like a monthly thing where it's like, if you give this much, each month and you get access to these things or you get these recurring benefits. But I think, yeah, there's more trust on Patreon because with typically on Patreon, you're supporting like an individual creator or a group of creators that you've, you've already like care about or whose content that you value. Whereas on Kickstarter, a lot of these things are just like a faceless company who's producing a one-off product and you don't know them. So I think, yeah, Patreon is what we've been working towards because it's like, it's an extension because you know, people love art and they love music and, and, and things like that, but they also love the people who are creating that art. That's why like people are obsessed with certain musicians or certain artists. Like people, you know, some people just love the content and, or the, the music and they consume it and that's it. But people want to know like the people behind it and they want to know like, okay, like, yeah, I love this band, but what, what are they like as people? And I think Patreon allows artists and creatives to show their like, their more human side. And that's what people love being able to like access. So you'll see on Patreon, like some bands or artists will have like, oh, if you support me on Patreon, you'll get like some behind the scenes stuff or I'll do like a monthly Zoom call where I can do Q and A and interact with you. And it's only for my pa patrons. So that's something that I try to do. I try to do like monthly like live streams where I like engage with my patrons and answer their questions or give them advice if they have technical questions about how to do a live stream. So I think that, um, Again, Patreon allows people to break through that barrier of like, you know, consumer and content and really like get to know the person who's creating the content that they're consuming. And that's something that a lot of like crowdsourcing campaigns aren't built around. So, well, yeah, uh, Sonny, thanks for joining us and helping kick this off. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, so there's, you know, there's something we're going to do with our guests moving forward that I emailed you about uh, is, you know, we'd like you to create a playlist that when this goes up, uh, we can share with people and kind of give a, 
you know, A, B side, you know, this B sided with this. Did you think anything of it or do you have your, your uh, seven inch uh, name come out? I don't yet, but I can get that to you. All right. Well, we will have that for you shortly. Uh, yeah, viewer, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you're, that. Oh, you're good. You're good, dude. Yeah, we still, we're going to film, like, um, the way we're going to kind of set the video up is we're going to film an intro and an outro, basically, like, kind of short little bites of just me and Adam. Um, and so we'll kind of toss into you, into the conversation, and then in the end, we'll kind of pick it up, wrap it up. Um, if there's anything you want us to, like, mention or promote or anything, you can email that over, and we can plug your shit um and then yeah dude thank you so much i feel like i want to i wish we did this on a weekday i feel motivated i want to work <laughs> yeah, <I love> <laughs> i'm like shit man i want to come up with some shit right now um yeah no i appreciate it so much I, i've really i admire everything you've built and i feel like i can learn a lot from you i know a, a lot of people will benefit from learning from you um and yeah, I really appreciate the time. Just keep, uh, we'll keep you posted, I guess, when uh, this is yeah. getting moving. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super, I'm super humbled by that because, like, not, I, it's weird. Like, I don't want to say like I made it, but like my, I was, I was a 14 year old kid in 2000, like filming bands. And in my head, I was like, this is before YouTube. In my head, I was like, man, I hope one day, like, something I film can get like someone excited about this band and they'll become a fan of them. And like for me, it's like damn, that dream that I had when I was 14 is here. Like, people are literally discovering bands through a video that I filmed, and it's grown into this thing that I never, like, imagined. And so, like, I tell people, like, hey, if I can help you or inspire you to, like, go for your dream, like, hit me up. I will help <laughs> you do it. I will tell you, like, and that's why I keep talking about, like, experiment or, like, don't be afraid of failure. Just do it. Like, I feel like everyone... Everyone owes it to themselves to do whatever whatever it is that they love. Cause like before I launched my Patreon, I had a, I had a two job interviews. I used to work in tech. I used to be a software developer, and like I had I tell the story all the time in interviews. And like I I think people are getting tired of me talking about it, but it, it's true. Like I was sitting in these tech interviews. I got job offers from both, and they were like really like six figure salaries. And I was like I was sitting there. And I was like I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to work in an office, and all this is doing like yeah, I like the work. It's in, like, it's interesting work. But at the end of the day, all it's doing is it's allowing me to go home and like, really like, it's allowing me to buy the flight to go film this, fe this fest next weekend, or allowing me to upgrade my camera that it was all it was doing was making what I really wanted to do possible. And like, I had this one interview. And like, at the end of the interview, the interviewer was like, cool, I don't have any more questions, but by the way, you filmed my band back in 2007. I, and I had no idea. And so that was the oh, moment shit. where I was, like, I was like, you know what? I really owe it to myself to just fucking try to make this my life. Yeah. And thankfully I had the community and I, like Patreon was a thing. And I just like, I took the leap of faith. It took a couple months for it to like get stable. But like within a couple months I had stable income and I was like, you know what? I don't have to go back to tech. Like I can literally just do eight by six full time. And so it's easier said than done because like obviously this could all collapse tomorrow and I might have to go back to working in tech. And like, I have, I have that cushion there to work there. But like, I tell people like, Hey, if you, if you have that dream and you want to go for it, just go for it. Cause you don't want, you don't want to be 70 years old and be like, damn, when I was 30, I really should have tried yeah. becoming a skateboarder or becoming a painter. Like just try it. Just fucking try it. That's all I can tell you. I, I so. mean, and, and there's, you, you talk about authenticity. I mean, uh, Jamie and I, yourself, we were all friends with 
Chris Avis. And I think the thing that I really loved about Chris was that he didn't understand any of this, you know, like it was just him being a fan that wanted to document and have these bands that he loved and he grew up with. And there was something so pure about that, you know, and, and, yeah. and think about them. Like, that's what I think about, you know, because, and, and Jamie can attest to this and I'm sure you can too, is this is unfortunately a business where not everybody's like that, that should be like that. And I understand it's a business and we all need to make money and, and yada, yada, yada. But I think having a passion and, and having some sort of pureness and some sort of culture behind you, like that's really what's going to fuel us to, again, Jamie and I starting this podcast because a lot of what is going on with, with the bloodbath that is going to be brought on by this industry due to COVID has already been happening for years. Oh yeah. I, yeah. And I myself, you know, like feel like we've bastardized so much stuff and much like not just the music business, but a lot of businesses across the board, um, COVID just accelerated how terrible things truly were, you know, and we, yeah. we look at that on a political level and an economic level right now. Um, so again, we're, we're very thankful that you, you're going to kick this off with us. Yeah. The one thing about, yeah, there's that, there's definitely people who come into like creative spaces, like the, whether videography or whatever. And like, they're coming into it with the goal of like, I want to be a YouTube celebrity. I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Like they're not doing it with a purity behind it or like authenticity behind it. Yeah. And yeah, Chris was a documentarian at his core. Like, I miss him so much is the way uh, I only got to shoot with him a couple times, but he really cared about documenting. He didn't care about be building a channel. Like he just wanted to do bands right mm -hmm. and capture them in their pure essence and like convey that. And that is so hard to find these days of just someone who's just like, I'm going to do this because I love it. And I want it to be like, I want it to speak for itself and I'm not, I don't have any ulterior motives. Like I'm just doing it because I want to do it and I want to do it well. And like, Chris embodied that, and like I, I miss that energy so much that he that he put out into the world. Yeah, yeah, I, so. I we both feel you on that one for sure. Um, but yeah, Sonny, we won't take up any more of your time. Thank you again. Cool. Um, please be patient with us. We're gonna kind of do this episode and, and get it rolling. Absolutely, absolutely. One, one thing we discussed is, especially I'm aware of, is like how fucking batshit crazy this is about to be in the next three weeks so Dude, I'm, yeah i'm having the anxiety too with just stuff i'm trying to plan for i'm like yeah so I, I feel you on that we're definitely yeah. teetering on like do we want to save this for a couple of weeks after to launch this or do we want to you know we want to make sure when we do this that it does it right because you know at the end of the day jamie and i are looking much like a lot of what jamie does just doing things right and making sure people are paying attention to the new ways that we're going to have to kind of come out of this, if that's the way we're yeah. going to start it. And we don't want that to be distracted by, like you said, the fever dream that is the news every day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Well said. <laughs> um, unrelated. Uh, I don't know if you, are you filming the Barty Strange stuff at Studio Four? I am. Yeah. How did you know? Are you, do you work with him? I co-manage him with Tim. Oh, shit. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah so I'm super excited for for y'all for you to meet him. But like everything you talked about today was like, uh, you guys are gonna you're gonna love him. He's awesome. Yeah, I think I think we're recording that in like two weeks. I think on the 24th. Yeah, 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 yeah. the end of the month. Yeah, I'm yeah. stoked. I'm excited to have you doing that. It's like he's you two are gonna nerd out like crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm super I'm super excited now. Cool. Hell yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, thanks, y'all. I'm going to go hang out with the baby. <laughs> yeah, do your thing. It's good talking to you guys. Bye, good night. Bye. Yo, so that was our interview with Sunny. I loved learning more about the Patreon stuff and how he was talking about how it's, you know, maybe not the right, even though the company probably wants everybody to use it, right? It's probably not best if you're just starting out. It's probably better if you have a little bit of an audience. I thought that was a really cool takeaway. But at the same time, I mean, he talks about how you can still build content as a band. I mean, there's TikTok now, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, you don't necessarily, maybe you can't monetize it at first, but if you're a band in Wichita, Kansas, or you're a band in Boise, Idaho, like there's... You can create your own content. It, 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 anybody can do it. I mean, hell, we're doing it right now with my iPhone. You know, it's it's anybody's game. So, um, really love this to kick off uh, this podcast. Um, so, thank you for anyone tuning into this one. Uh, we'll have another one up next week. Do the YouTube thing. Like, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, yeah, and uh, we will see you in a bit. And we're good to go. Awesome. Uh, Sonny, thank you for joining us again. Hope you're doing well living in this hellscape of a country we are in right now. Um, Every day seems to be something unfortunately new. Uh, But on a brighter side, it looks like we might actually be coming out of this and hopefully, you know, getting into the real live sector again, um, based on kind of our last conversation and what we spoke about. you know, one of the things that we noticed that you've done in the last couple of months is kind of start your own live streaming showcase thing. So we just wanted to kind of get a background on, on why did you start that, what band you're kind of looking into to showcase. And really, because of live streaming, you know, there were the audio trees, there were the KEXPs out there. Is this going to open up for more showcasing, more you know, hitting the smaller markets, Roadburn this past weekend kind of did like a virtual um, festival uh, and showcased a lot of new music, a lot of fringe music for what they sort of uh, have on their festival at times. Just, you know, where uh, where are you going with that and into the future into this year? Yeah. So obviously the first live stream I did was that Code Orange one, which was like the first week of the shutdown. And I had actually done a a bunch of live streams after that. Uh, I think I've done probably over a dozen now. Um, I did them through last spring, over the summer, into into now. Essentially, I'm, I'm trying to do one, maybe two a month. I'm sort of ramping up right now. Um, these are, uh, I was doing a mix of live streams out of a studio that uh, Len Carmichael from Landmine Studios owns in uh, New Jersey. So he's uh, he tends to like mix the audio for me when we do these live streams. Um, so the vast majority of them have been uh, there, but I've also teamed up with Will Yip at Studio Four, and we've done a bunch of uh, streams out of his studio in Kanjahakin. So bands like Tiger Jaw, Menzingers, um, things like that, Bouncing Souls, Starting Line. Um, Marky Strange, no? Marky Strange, yeah. I was like, hey man, it's, it's our show. I gotta plug that shit. I gotta get in yeah, there and plug yeah. that. That was one of the finest moments for me this this past year. I feel like I've been in a position where I've been able to actually see music live, even if it's like a private showing for myself and a few other people in the room. But uh, yeah, that Ortiz Strange that was definitely up there in the list. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm actually in in believe it or be believe it or not, even though it seems like shows are going to be coming back sooner than later, um, I feel like I'm ramping up my 
uh, interest in doing stream, streams. And I'm, I'm getting a lot more uh, uh, requests from bands. So when this first went down, I was reaching out to bands that I had shot before that already had like a substantial following. And a lot of them didn't want to do it for various reasons. And that's fine. Um, but in the last couple of months, the vast majority of the requests that I've been getting are brand new bands, either bands who are just getting, you know, they've only been around for a year or two, or, you know, I, I just did a recording for a band. That was their first show was a video that we filmed in the studio. So uh, I feel like what's happening now is I'm opening up the uh, service of providing a live stream recording or like a pre-recorded thing. I do a mix of both, but I, I make it clear. Like I do the I do the real time live stream that's happening in real time, but I also do like a pre recorded thing that is then aired later. But uh, in both cases, I'm offering that service to any band that wants to do it, um, and that tends to be newer bands. And in my experience, what I'm finding is that these newer bands are benefiting greatly from having these streams because they are able to essentially debut on the Hey Plastics platform, which already has. At this point, 130,000 YouTube subscribers, 115 on Instagram. So they are noticing a huge uh, boost in their visibility. So this one band that I, I, I filmed, they got like, in the span of 24 hours, they went from 89 subscribers on Instagram to 2,100 uh, from that video. So I think that, um, you know, the door is always going to be open for the top 40 hardcore bands that I've shot at, you know, big shows and stuff. But uh, I'm at this point way more excited about providing this platform for brand new bands. And so I think that even when shows come back, I'll likely continue doing this. Um, I think that, again, there's certain bands that are they're gonna benefit from it, even, even more established bands. Like I think of established bands could do like an anniversary, uh, playing uh, a record on its anniversary straight through and do that as a virtual live stream. Or, you know, in addition to doing a tour, I think that could be beneficial to them as well. Yeah, I, I mean, you're seeing, you just spoke of the, the social uh, impact, the increase, something like Instagram. Do you know anyone who has had like an increase, just like their Bandcamp demo or any sort of like streaming out there as well? I don't have access to the streaming data, so I don't know. But uh, I, so more I, feedback, I meant more feedback from the band saying like, oh yeah, yeah. they sold a, a couple of records on Bandcamp. Yeah, so I think uh, that this band Grishka, they played their first show uh, on, it was a pre-recorded set that we filmed in, in Baltimore. Uh, in the span of like 24 hours, that video got like 12, no, 25,000 views on Instagram, which is, is a, it's a lot for, for my channel in 24 hours. And they had, they, they were the example of the band that got 2000, uh, follows in like a day. So, um, they were mentioning that, you know, they were getting, you know, people were like, oh, I can't wait for shows to come back because we want to, we want to see you play in, in a venue. So, um, most of the bands that I've done streams for have noticed like an uptick in, like even during this, even during the streams, they'll have like exclusive merch for sale. Um, that you know, during the stream, I'll like we'll have a link on the video or even in the description saying like, hey, you know, during the stream, pick up this merch. It's it's brand new. It's exclusive. So a lot of that stuff sells really well for those bands too. So um, I would love to have access to the actual streaming data for the band game because I personally, and anecdotally, it does seem like there is a uptick in downloads and listens, and, and I I do get feedback from viewers saying like oh that video made me go buy the record on Bandcamp or, or listen to them on Spotify so I do see that anecdotally but I would love to work with a band who's willing to show me the before and after stats uh of what their Bandcamp looks like with uh respect to one of these streams yeah um I feel it's funny I had a question for you but I feel like you almost maybe answered it but I was gonna ask you like were over the 
past, you know, since we talked, but also over just the past year since you did that first Code Orange stream that, you know, was the reason we reached out too. But um, have you seen any other examples of people that are kind of handling that live stream content creation role, uh, especially well since the pandemic started? Um, like any kind of other people that you didn't work with that you didn't film, but just something maybe you caught as a fan that you were like, damn, that was cool. Like, was there anything like that, that you could share with us? Yeah. So. So, so to be clear, I make a distinction between uh, real-time live stream and pre-recorded live stream. I think, Me too in my I, head, yeah. <laughs> I think they are two separate pieces, and a lot of people call a pre-recorded thing a live stream because they're airing it as a live stream. Yeah. I have a fundamental difference with that from just a, you know, fundamentally, yeah. philosophically, because it's two different separate, two different beasts. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't always do my live stream as well. Like, if you watch some of them, like, <laughs> the audio will go out of sync. But for me, it's like a learning process and figuring out, like, okay, like, this is how I troubleshoot it for next time so yeah. i i really treat it as a learning experience and trying to like perfect my craft so i i really don't see anyone else doing real-time live streams i mean people are doing it on their phone on instagram live yeah. but in terms of like multi-cam real-time live stream i don't see that anymore uh maybe early on in the pandemic but not so much since um one one pre-recorded live stream that i really enjoyed was the every time i die uh they did like a telethon theme kind of yeah. thing which but I thought that was I thought that was cool. It, they were they they essentially took the idea of a pre-recorded or like a, of a set and created skits around it or like a yeah. you know a um essentially like a script around it or like have it being like a telethon. I thought that was really cool, and I would love to see stuff moving more in that direction. So that was done. That was produced by um uh. <laughs> I'm playing You might need to edit this. It's um. There was a skit about it. I remember. It's, it's, it's Doug, Spang Doug Spangenberg from Hyrule Studios. I talk to oh, Doug okay. regularly. It's, it's I, I should not have suffered on that. He's like an OG filmer. Like he was filming shows back in the day. So it was cool. I was excited to see him come back to do this thing with them. Yeah. Um, and that was really exciting to see. Um, I'm trying to think. There were definitely a few others that were um, really neat. I'm trying to remember. The, uh, the two minutes to late night split. Yes. Even in Splitsville. was. Yeah. Incredible, and I hope he keeps even as we go back in the live music. I know he's got nothing in integrity coming up, um, yeah. but the fact that they did like limited merch, uh, can't wait for my seven inch to come in. Um, no offense, I think every time I die are the gods, but Caven just destroyed that cover. That was incredible. More, yeah. Um, I, I think that was my probably my favorite thing to watch. Yeah, that was a cool concept, and so, um it's stuff like that that I that I that I appreciate. It's like either a crossover or making something that's that's engaging to watch. Because personally, I think that virtual fests will survive. Because um, people hit me up saying, "Oh, should we do a virtual fest?" And personally, I don't think those are gonna. I don't think those do well because people don't have like the way I look at it is sitting in front of a screen watching a fest is a much different experience than being at a show and watching the fest. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of bands hit me up saying, like, oh, can we do a can we do a live stream and, you know, play in the dark? And I have to tell them, no, it needs to be well lit because when you're watching a thing on the screen, if it's not well lit, you're just going to turn it off. Yep. You know, and so I have to convey to people that the experience of watching a thing on a screen has a different set of requirements than actually being at a show. So I think that um, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but in my opinion, like what's going to be most successful are, you know, one-off streams of just uh, one band doing their thing, and maybe they have like a script or like 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 Splitsville. There's some sort of uh, like a two creative band. element, yeah. A creative 
into it. But like in terms of just an eight hour <laughs> fest of band back, to, band, you know, back to no one's going to sit through that. And I feel like the retention rate is just going to drop. Like people are not going to sit through that full thing. Yeah. So I'm interested in creating content that keeps people, people engaged and has like high replay value. And that's why I really focus on like a short set. You know, average band plays for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops. Yep. And just make that as engaging as possible with like multiple angles and like movement or like moving around and yeah. just trying to keep that as just to hold the viewer's attention as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I it, It's interesting that you bring up the every time I die stream because I enjoyed all the skits, but as someone that probably every time I die is up there, top three bands I've seen the most at this point. I almost felt like, oh my God, I can't wait to go back into a room because there's yeah. an element to that band that like when you're in the room and they're just laying waste, um, it, it felt weird. You know, that's not on their performance. That's not on what they did. Um, so all that being said, uh, are you hyped to get back out there? <laughs> are you hyped yeah. to, to be I in am. that live setting again um, sooner I or am. later? I am. I do think it's a little bit rushed right now. Uh, I, I I do think there needs to be a little bit of a cool off period still, uh, <laughs> yeah. or where you risk not you know making much progress. But mm -hmm. yeah, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm excited to do it. I do think that there's going to be pushback because yeah, people are apprehensive about shows and you know people gathering for events, and I'm already seeing like shows being announced, people being like, "Why is this happening?" Like, mm -hmm. so I get it, but yeah. the, I, I I see both sides to it. Um, I see the argument that it's still a little too early, but at the same time, at some point shows need to come back and it's starting to happen now. So people are going to have to get over the argument of like, mm -hmm. is it too soon? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still straddling, straddling that line myself, but yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it seems like for the rest of this year, it's probably going to be mostly outdoor stuff. Uh, that's going to be allowed um, maybe limited capacity indoor stuff, but I don't know. I think that um, I'm hopeful that by, early 2022 we'll be able to go back to mostly uh capacity indoor venues but we'll see but i'm excited for that i mean um i'm i'm only averaging about one or two live streams a month and i'm focusing on mostly right now just digitizing old tapes that people send me so i really need to go back on that schedule of filming <laughs> a lot yeah. multiple shows a week and 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 building up that like that uh list of content that i can i can put out i mean edc is next month full capacity <laughs> So I think we're going to get a pretty big, like, what's going to happen here with yeah. a festival like that uh, is in, a, in a place like Vegas, uh, in yeah. an environment where those people are very much on top of one another, similar to... Experience, yeah. Uh, yeah, similar to any of the Danny Wimmer festivals or, like, uh, Lala or anything like that. Like, so, uh, you know, uh, what more can we say than please get vaccinated. Let's try to get back to some normalcy so I can headwalk sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.